Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I've skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. In silent film fashion, this intro will be brought to you on title cards. New title card. New title card. The artist this week on Zach on Film. <laughs> That's all I had. <laughs> I thought it was the way over here. Hey, it'll it's work. A gag on an audio only show. Yeah, yeah, no. That's what I. That's why I thought we it was funny. Watch, meta. watch your video iPod. <laughs> yeah. Yes, as as this happens, and you will see how we don't add any pictures to the feeds. So Zach, all the way from 2011, a silent film. Oh my goodness! Oh silent man, films. it's black and white too. They went out in the in the uh, 20s and 30s when the talkies came on. Yeah, yeah the talkies. How I love you. How I love you. So, what's the artist about? The artist is about uh, an actor who is a famous silent film actor mm-hmm. who then goes down his luck when these dang talkies run into town, and he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't need those stinking talkies. He doesn't need no stinking talkies. He's going to make a silent film of his own. So he makes a silent film of his own. Doesn't do so hot. People like it when people talk, apparently, in these <laughs> new movies. And uh, gets down on his luck for a while. Gets into a pretty bad place. But then love and tap dancing. All right. I think that pretty much sums it up right there. Yeah. The artist, French film, actually. Uh, but done so well, yeah. you think that it's an American production. Uh, because it's supposed to take place in the Hollywood in 1927 through 1936. And no one speaks French. And, well, yes, no one speaks are French you at all. that French films are inferior? No, 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 no. I mean, when you watch this film, if you didn't know that it was a French film, you'd go, oh, this is some artsy American piece that's just sitting there. Right, because it's sure. set in the U.S. Yeah, because it's set in the U.S. And and this that is the cool thing. Husband. This is the cool thing about this film is, you're right, Zach, in a silent film, there is no... There are no accents. Right. There is no, um, well, there are no words except exactly. the ones that you read. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, that makes this somewhat interesting because mm-hmm. it is a throwback to the silent era. And as it was created by, uh, the director, what's his name? Uh, la, la, la. Oh, I can't pronounce that. <laughs> Seriously. It's got... It's Michel got, it's got a Z and a V in it. No, I cannot pronounce it. So that does word. my grandmother's maiden name. You want to take that base out, your boy? Michel Hasnavicius is how I'm going to go. Okay, cool. So, you know, he Michael. really wanted to pay an homage to the silent era and really a lot of great uh, motion pictures. And so when we get into the production aspect of this, he really dives deep into tying in things from that era into this movie from the storytelling perspective, what we're seeing is not an uncommon story for big actors of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy mm-hmm. basically had to, um, when the talkies came in, they really had to change the way they did their comedy because one of them didn't have as good a voice for the screen. And I forget which other one, if was either, um, uh, not Charlie Chaplin, um, um, Buster, Keaton. Buster Keaton, same way voice, not ready. Uh, and, and Harold, Harold Lloyd, that's who I'm mm-hmm. thinking of. 
Harold Lloyd just didn't have a voice for the talkies and it ruined them. Uh, we saw this a little bit in Singing in the Rain. Yeah. Exactly what yeah, was going yeah. on. Our our lost uh Oh, Zach our lost, on the phone oh podcast. I'm sorry we lost oh, that. Oh, that's episode. right. Oh, Man, we totally, we so, totally talked I, about I, that. You, yeah, you're yeah. sorry about it. I was like, guys, guys, we have to do Singing in the Rain. Then we did Singing in the Rain and it was great. And it was and awesome. We lost it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sad. Damn that new Way to bring down the whole whole podcast. Yeah, I forgot. There we go. I'm going to cry in my beer now. Yes. Title card, and they were sad. <laughs> <laughs> so, a couple of things then, Zach. One of, well, last week, we were taking a look at Birth of the Nation, yep. where basically everything that was presented on the title cards was just like, here's a description of what's happening in the scene. Right. Go. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. What do we get a little bit different here? And the artists, the title cards are just used for particularly important lines in the story mm-hmm. to... Let us know this is exactly what they're saying because it's it's important, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that's what they're used for. There's no over; uh, they don't describe scenes. They're not giving historical tidbits. It's just straight character lines. Yes, mm-hmm. and does that help this film? I mean, do you think that it was necessary to do it this way in today's world to make this film work? Um, well, I think it, uh, was important for a couple reasons. Um, one of them being the last final, the last title card of the movie, which wasn't a line, mm-hmm. which is the only one in the movie. And then to kind of poke fun at the idea of a silent film at one point, because mm-hmm. when he, when he says, if only his dog could talk right, right, right. with the title card, which was funny. Um, but I, I think... Um, some lines you could read because they were big and loud and slowed down. You could you right, could right, read right. their lips and say, "Oh, that's what they're saying." Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it, you 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 needed to know exactly what they were saying to really advance the story along. You agree with that, Rodrigo? I mean, is this something? It, I mean, when we watched Birth of a Nation, right. we can tell what's going on and we can say see what dialogue's going on. And a lot of times, you can see the same thing going on in the artist, and yet we're still seeing the lines here in the artist. Right? Do and our audiences, modern audiences, just not used to familiar with this concept that we kind of have to lead them by the nose. I I think it's the other way around. I think it used to be when movies were first made that they that the um filmmakers thought to themselves, we are not like people aren't going to get what's going on unless mm-hmm. we tell them what's going mm-hmm. on. Okay. That's why in older like super old silent movies, Trip to the Moon, right? Mm-hmm. It would be like here is what is happening and then you would see the scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? In the artist, um, the scenes just unfold, right? And then when you get when you need specific dialogue, which the older movies also did, mm-hmm. um, when you need specific dialogue, that's when they come in, and that's because I think that's for two reasons. One, filmmakers now believe, um, and I think they're probably right, that people do get the gist of a scene from seeing what's happening, and you don't need to explain it to them. Um, and the other one is that people now. Largely because of parodies and um, a few specific examples, people believe that's what silent films were like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sure. that is the structure of a silent film, which it's really not. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at you know any silent, like a lot of early films, you know, like you look at like the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, like it usually doesn't yeah, yeah. tell you specifically what somebody's saying. It just right. kind of describes what's happening. Right. And even when we watched him, the same way, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah, well, M- talking. no, I'm yeah, talking. That's the other one, too. I always think of that as a silent film with title cards in it, even though it's not. Right. For whatever mm-hmm. reason. It's really weird. 
Um, but did it's, you? It's because it's in German, so you actually have to read the subtitles. Yes. Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um. So, did you notice big differences then between Birth of a Nation and this movie? Other than a general lack of blackface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you talking just from story wise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Story wise, you know how the film is presented to the audience. Well, I mean, there wasn't a giant. Well, I mean, there's still, I guess, a three act structure, but not giant sure. like movie length act structures. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, because we're talking about how stars went down the toilet mm-hmm. when the talkies came in. Mm-hmm. There is another film on this list. It's a l- I want to do something that's not as. I mean, next next week's film is still pretty intense. Um, but the movie that that's you need to watch is Sunset Boulevard, and we'll we'll bring that up um, soon uh, on the show, because Sunset Boulevard features a character who was um, essentially George Valentine mm-hmm. uh, in this movie that just crashed and burned uh, once the talkies came out. And actually, they cast, when they made the movie, they actually cast someone who was a famous uh, silent film star in this oh, movie. Interesting. Uh, which is nice. And they also featured a lot of silent film stars in Sunset Boulevard. Um but I just, I kind of, it's rough, right, for an actor mm-hmm. when suddenly everything changes and you can no longer work in this industry that made you famous, yeah, made right, you a star. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who I was listening to. I think it was not a Nerdist podcast. Oh, it was Adam Carolla's podcast. He was interviewing um, um, Roberts, um, Sharptopus guy. Uh, you remember who, who that was? Uh, Julie no. Roberts' brother. Um, Jules. Ju- Julian Roberts. No, 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 no. Um, Julian Roberts. <laughs> but anyway, he was talking about why today so many well-known actors are moving towards doing big television roles. You know, mm-hmm. we saw mm-hmm. on the uh, History Channel, we saw Kevin Costner and um, what's his Bill face? Paxton. Bill Paxton doing the... Hatfields and McCoys, right? We see big names coming to the small screen. And the way that, um, that Roberts explained it was, look, the technology, once HD is invented and with what they're doing with technology today, the quality and the process of creating a motion picture and creating a television movie are exactly the same. And if you're on a show like, um, the walking dead, or if you're in a show like um, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. there it is. There are reasons why actors are flooding to these roles because television, in his mind, and the way that he was explaining it, is just as important today as the theater uh, going experience. Bigger screens, not as many people going to um, going to the theater. Yeah, and so this is where actors are are starting to migrate to. And so it's kind of weird that I'd heard that as we were getting ready to talk about the artist and seeing that same problem with actors of that time period. Either they convert and get on board with what's going on or they become a, a dying breed like George and his attempt to hold on to this past. I'm only going to shoot on film. I'm only going to be in the silent films. I'm not going to do mm-hmm. any of these kinds of things. And he goes out and produces with his last dime this supposed epic silent film uh, that's going to make him rebound him as a star and unfortunately this little actress that he uh, brought up uh, an extra that he brought up and made big 
our movie opened bigger because it had a talkie in it right. and just totally crushed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a real interesting time to see what's going on in motion pictures as these, these talkies are, are coming in. You remember some other things that we talked about in Singing in the Rain that related to this since that's a lost episode? Uh, specifically to that, I mean, we talked about a lot of, a lot about the process of mm-hmm. how these actors um, couldn't couldn't cut it and 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 a lot about the changes that came about with talkies which which singing the rain really showcases um right you know like the issues with microphones and the issues with all this stuff mm-hmm. which you know the artist doesn't really right it doesn't, doesn't touch really on any into, of that. yeah because the main character never does a talkie right. until right. potentially until the very end i think there are some interesting things though that happen um in this piece that because this is a modern film mm-hmm yeah. And because of ways that we're trying to show this actor struggling with this, something you couldn't have done in 1915 uh, or 1911, a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's this fever dream that George has right, where suddenly he's been forced into this world of sound yeah. and everything makes a sound. The scooting of the, the chair across the table, the breaking glass, the barking dog, all these things are making noise. And yet he's still can't talk. silent. Right. He can't, can't talk. What, what do you... I really liked that scene a lot. That was really cool, especially because it seemed like the, the sound wasn't, it looked like it was dubbed in, like it sounded right, dubbed right. from a stage. It was like, and so, it felt like they made every effort to make this movie feel like it could have been in that time period, but then mm-hmm. they just and then they just cheated little things like that to say, "Hey, this isn't what it." Well, used and to certainly be. Matthew, when we're making that transition to the talkies, mm-hmm. and you're putting Foley in, a lot of that stuff is not aligned right, right. correctly, right? And you, I mean, I think to me. The thing that really struck me and the, the thing that I found really difficult to put my finger on what was bothering me uh, until I, I got to the point where I'm at the end of the film and I'm like, okay, film is done. What, what, what? And I sat and I tried to figure it out. And I tried to figure it out. And I tried to figure it out. And I finally, I, I may possibly have checked on the interwebs. There's no zooms. No, no, no. Yeah, we're going to get in. Yeah, we'll get into the technique. Uh, part in the second half of the show. But even today, though, we don't see it in film. You don't see yep. a lot of zooms. What you do see in film, and this is one of the things that sets film apart from uh, television, is the fact that you can move the camera in very cinematic ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, there there are no zooms in, in, this, in this piece. The one thing that I was really excited about, for those of you who had not seen The Artist in had anybody seen the artist before this past week? I had not. I had not. Is the yeah. climax of the movie. Right. Yeah. Where they actually make spoiler effective. Alerts. Oh, yeah. This is a big yeah, spoiler yeah, yeah. alert. Um, if you haven't seen it, you really need to see it. But at the climax of the movie, there is a moment where the title card comes in. And I'm sitting there through this whole movie going, okay, this is enjoyable. I see what's going on. This right. is the story. Oh, yeah, poor yeah, guy. Yeah. And then we get to this moment where George is literally at his lowest point in the movie and then you see a title card appear and I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, you know, that silence with that title card was more telling than if they had put in a sound effect or if they had shown us yeah. what was happening. Now, granted, 
didn't quite happen that right. way. It's a <laughs> it's a swerve. Yeah, was it nice. a good? Was it effective? I think so. Um, because you do think like, wh- what am I going to see after this title right. card? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that they like then deflate that tension mm-hmm. um, and and give the movie a happy ending. Right, yeah. right, uh, right. Is, is it, it makes it? It would have been effective either way. But I think it. I think it worked the way they did it. But isn't that then Matthew? Kind of what makes this movie work really well is that you're drawing the audience into this character and his plight and his emotion, and you're doing it without people looking and talking uh, and hearing the dialogue of "Oh man, my I'm down on my luck and this mm-hmm. movie tanked." And, right, right. right. And, and life is terrible. Yeah, and I, I think that was to me. That's one of the things that really probably got people's attention about the movie in the first place was you know, you've taken away one of the major filmmaking tools of modern times for all intents and purposes. You've taken away essentially half the story. How many times do you sit in your living room and, and you know, just listen to a movie without actually paying attention? You can't do that here. You have to actually sit, you pay attention, you mm. watch, mm-hmm. you read, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's why I like, um, watching so many of the foreign films with the dubbing, mm-hmm. I, I really get into a movie. I was watching another, uh, watching, um, uh, what is it? The flying swords at dragon's gate or whatever that I'd mentioned long time ago mm-hmm. in one of our shows about how much I love that in, uh, the way it's done. And I watched it again this past weekend instead of watching the artist again. And it's just like, man, I'm getting into this this movie, and there comes a part where a lot of this will just dissolve away, right? Mm-hmm. Where the title cards come up, and it's like, well, I'm not even read, really reading this. I'm so absorbed into what's going on right. that that stuff just, even though you are reading it, it just phases through. Right. Same way when you're looking at an international um, dubbed film right, you know, where you have to have the subtitles in there. At some point, you get to it where it's you're no longer reading it. So you're not, actually experiencing so, so it. So not dubbed. Not dubbed. Then. Yeah, not dubbed. I'm sorry. Sub- not overdubbed. Right. Um, but yeah, you're watching a subtitled uh, film, and you just become so absorbed in what's going on in the story, you don't realize that, oh, I'm reading a paragraph's worth of data right. in yeah. 10 seconds. Right. And I think it works really well. And here, especially, I think it works because the title cards are coming up at just the right time. You're so drawn into the plight of the character, and then you get to that that big climactic moment and you're just like oh my gosh did he really just yeah right yeah. did they do that yeah and i mean i that's what i was again watching it in the home theater so i can do and say whatever i want right but i'm sitting there watching this silently but we get to that part and i'm literally sitting up straight at the couch and going holy s word did they really <laughs> just do that uh-huh and that they let they hang that that title card yeah, there for it a seems like a it's long up there. time it's like for a whole second it's yeah, up there it's for a while <laughs> And it gives you time to process, and it gets gives mm-hmm. you time to react, and it gives you time to go, wait a minute, and then right. we get the resolve. And going into watching this movie, I knew at one point sound came into the movie. I just didn't know at what point that was. And so as it's leading up to that color card, I was like, oh, here comes the music. Like, here comes the noise. They're going to start introducing noise right here. Mm-hmm. And then that title card comes up. I'm like, oh... Crap. Maybe this actually really happened. When we talk about these kind of events and what this character does or attempts to do uh, in the movie, that's kind of a cathartic moment, right? Where if the character – how do I do this without really spoiling it? If the character succeeds in what he's doing, then one event results. If the character fails in what he's doing, 
another event results. And sometimes that failure is that process where it's like, okay, now it's time to reanalyze what I'm doing. It's time mm-hmm. to embrace yeah. this change. It's time to um, get on board right. with what's going on. And also let myself be loved. Yes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And that's what he does with, uh, what's her name? Peppy. 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 And Peppy. the real kind of cool moment when sound comes in is the ending is a dance number. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what do you, what's, you know, you look at a Bollywood film, ends yep. with a big dance number. Yep. You want to yep. watch Singing in the Rain and you want a happy ending and everybody's singing in the rain, you know, um, not necessarily that way, much better yeah, than that. Singing uh, in the rain, singing <laughs> in the rain. But, singing in the rain, singing in the rain. But it has that happy upbeat ending with a dance number, a song and dance number. And that's exactly how this movie ends. And you're hearing the music. And there's music, so don't think that you're just sitting there listening to nothing right. there's for actually music two hours. Throughout. There's music oh, throughout. And um, that's part of the controversy in, in some of it. But at the end, there's this nice dance number, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is the music that they would play during this dance number. But wait a minute. I'm hearing the tippity tappity tippity tappity of the um of the feet mm-hmm. as they're dancing. And then at the end, I hear panting. I hear breathing. Yeah. And then I hear the director saying, you know, thank you or whatever he's saying. Thank you. And um could we do that one more time? And then finally we hear hear George say, but of course. And suddenly he has a French accent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which again, knowing now that it's, you know, it's a French film, it makes perfect sense. But here's the other problem that we were just talking about a moment ago in this transition, transition from silent film to the talkies. And I'm hoping that that's what the director's trying to do here yeah. is get the audience to think, oh, this guy is right. American. Sure. He's English. And when you hear the French language, his accent Suddenly you're like, oh, wait a minute. Right. This makes perfect sense yeah. why he was so why, resistant yes, in why, going into. Why, why did he keep saying nobody wants to hear him talk? Why didn't they mm-hmm. just transition him? Why didn't right. they force yeah. him to transition? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a good looking guy, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But and even good. if he has a voice like this, you know, you can teach him. Right. Round <laughs> tones. Yes. <laughs> the rain in Spain. Falls um, mainly on Julio. Iglesias. So what did you think of that then when you saw, when you heard George speak at the end of the movie? Well, it was definitely shocking to hear him, but I had heard the actor talk before because I watched the Oscars and I saw him accept his award. So I knew he was French, which probably ruined a little bit of it. But And and his name is like Jean du Yeah, but I mean, how many times have we heard an international star come in and do a a flawless English? Sure. Sure. Native, I shouldn't say English, an American, 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 American. Uh, yeah, accent. Christ, Christian Bale is British. Yep. Right, right. And, and naturally has a very, very British accent. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, you've got to give um, the actors who play the Doctor in the Doctor Who series a lot of credit, too, because right. when every, you're on BBC... Every every actor who plays the Doctor has a different British accent from the Doctor it, that he's playing. But they all but have, they to use, use the they have to use... the pronunciation. Yeah, they have to use BBC English, is what mm-hmm. it's called. And yet you hear David Tennant talk in his native super dialect, Scottish. and he's super Scottish. And so well, you gotta give they people let a lot the Ninth Doctor get away with being from Oop North. Um, so, again, even though he's a French actor, mm-hmm. sure... And then you get to that part, and you're like, oh, that's yeah. such a big moment in the movie. And it's it's interesting, because you you never hear uh, Peppy, Peppy speak, mm-hmm. and when you assume that 
she has a very nice voice, but I'm pretty sure she's French also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think she's Argentinian. Oh, is actually. she? Oh, okay. I thought they were both French. Well, anyway, a lot of her career was in France. But oh, maybe that's why she is from okay. France. Um, <laughs> man. Uh, but yeah, you would again. It's the same thing. Yeah, and maybe because they don't have her speak, it's to reinforce this moment of here's why he was so against mm-hmm, this whole mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And I wonder then, as you guys, all three of you watched this for the first time, what was more powerful for you? The moment where you finally hear George speak or that one title card? I think, uh, I, I think the whole movie revolves around that title card. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the, I think that is the ending of the movie and everything else is just denouement. And you get this, this moment of like, oh, at the end, mm-hmm. but it's not, I don't think it's as powerful okay. as, as the yeah. moment when you think that, I think, you know, it all went down. Ranking now. powerful moments for this film, it would be title card, the, the, the sound dream mm-hmm. made me really start yeah, noticing stuff yeah. and then him speaking. Cool. Matthew, what about you? It's tough because I think that first, well, the first spoken line at all is pretty shocking. Yeah. It doesn't actually come from him. But hearing somebody speak after, you know, an hour and 45 minutes of not mm-hmm. is it's pretty shocking. And it makes you suddenly aware of what you haven't been hearing. And I think that, you know, it's kind of a triumph on their part that after a few minutes of watching, you really don't realize that you're not hearing dialogue, that you're not hearing natural sound. My, my brain engaged the same way it would with a film that had somebody talking normally. And the point where somebody speaks at all is pretty powerful. I would actually say it's tough to say. I would actually rank him speaking slightly above that title card. Okay. But, you know, it's it's really kind of sexy apples and angry oranges. Mm, okay. So story-wise, a good story. Yeah. I would I would say I w- I was surprised because when people talk about this they're like this movie yeah. guys this movie and it turned out to have a very really a very light mm-hmm. story like mm-hmm. I was expecting mm-hmm. something more complex yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like grittier mm-hmm. but you know it's it's a downward spiral but it's a very it's like a super so, straightforward story yeah, yeah when so when people approach you and they're like oh Rodrigo, mm-hmm. this movie just won the Oscar. You got to see it. Got to see it. Oh, Rodrigo's going to change your life. Do you intentionally then put up that wall saying, nope, not going to no, watch it? No, 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 I don't. I think that, like, for example, um, like, a lot of the time it's, what do I have? Do I have time? Do I have money? Is right, this right. like, <laughs> is this on Netflix? Yeah. yeah. And, and things like that. Um, for example, I spend a lot of my free time recording podcasts, what? reading trade paperbacks and doing other stuff. So that, I mean, that does take a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, I've been meaning for so long to watch Beasts of the Southern Wild, and I still haven't. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I really yeah. want to, yeah, yeah. but I just have not gotten around to it. It's good stuff. Everybody loves it. Oh, and everybody, yeah, I like it. Everybody loves it. And even though everybody loves it, <laughs> I still want to see it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, so no, I'm I, I usually praise for a movie doesn't doesn't phase me too much. Because a lot of the time, like, if you look at the movies that I really like, they haven't been Mm -hmm. at least acclaimed by the public. Sometimes there's a few weird critics that kind of seem to think like me. And sometimes if I see that they like something, I will 
pursue it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's 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 about it for that. What about you, Matthew? Um, honestly, for a long time, I've gone by the Ebert scale. If Ebert gushes about something, I'm probably going to want to see it, regardless of whether people are overselling it. And, you know, we've we've had the discussion about my contrarian nature when it comes to being told this is the greatest thing ever. Because that that is a turnoff, simply because I don't necessarily seek out, and this is a terrible thing to say, given that, you know, I, I criticize movies and comic books on the internet and almost, you know, sometimes I'm partially educated about it. I don't want to know what other people think about things in most cases because I'm afraid that it's I think that's reasonable. Oh, sure, sure, sure. sure. It's it's one thing to do it's one thing to do research about the subject and then it's another thing entirely to know what people are saying about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's, I mean, when it comes to movies specifically, I kind of have a theory about movies which is I'll probably see it at some point. And so when people say there was this great movie in 2011, that's right about where my movie channels are right now. So mm-hmm. I can bump into the, you know, the movies of 2011 yeah, yeah, yeah. and early 2012 yeah. and go, oh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. But if, think- when you say to me, this is a life changing experience, this is wonderful. This is amazing. This is the best thing ever. My first instinct is to go, hmm. You know, honestly, I think why people are like, oh, this is the best thing ever. And. Just like you said, Rodrigo, there's nothing extraordinary about this story. Right. It's very plain. I think what got a lot of people excited about it, it was a story that was told not in a way that people right, are used right. to. It and got, so got it an got a lot of attention. delivery mechanism. Yeah. And so it yeah. got a lot of attention. Just like when um, Avatar came out, mm-hmm. people were like, oh, my God, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> no, it's not the best movie ever. It's just done in a way that is a different delivery method, in this case 3D, and that's why people are going gaga over it. Right. I think the simplicity of story may be another concession by the, the filmmakers to our silent film sure, sure, tropes, sure. for lack of a better word. Right, right. Silent films didn't necessarily have Shyamalan twists at the end. So having that, you know, that kind of up upbeat Busby Berkeley bit at the end and taking this kind of very straightforward, here's a a, a lovely story, a very well told story, but a relatively simple story. It doesn't have to be simplistic. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think whenever it comes time, uh, people say, Oh, Steve, you got to watch this movie. Usually I will put it in the queue or I'll go ahead and say, You know, at some point, like Matthew, I will watch this movie. I'll go ahead and make the purchase now and then watch it later. So the artist sat on the hard drive for. I want to say a better part of a year for a better part of a year. Cause I only, I think I only watched it in the beginning of 2013, Mm -hmm. I think, but it it was literally on my hard drive for almost a year, I think waiting to be, to be consumed. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I did. Um, And there's many, many other movies that are that way. Zach recently, in fact, uh, last week did a bonus to Zach on film where he did a review of the dirties, which is a film from uh, the Kevin Smith, movie show or whatever the movie, produ- club. movie club, the production mm-hmm. company there. And I'm very interested in the movie and I knew I kind of wanted to watch it cause I'd heard, uh, Kevin Smith interview the filmmakers. I'm like, okay, I want to buy this movie. Then I listen to Zach's review and watch his review and he's all excited about this. And I encourage listeners to go over to majorspoilers.com, uh, go into the Zach and film, uh, category on podcast because it's there, uh, or go over to our major spoilers video channel at uh, YouTube and you can see it there. 
But when I know about what the story's going on, there's something about me that's just like, oh, I'm going to hesitate a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I want to watch it yet because I got to get in the mi- right mindset. And that is a thing about yeah. movies is that um, sometimes if you don't feel up for it, and especially movies that have a lot of hype, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. one of the reasons why probably why I kept putting off the artist is because everybody's like, oh, this is so great. So I expected it to be a very cerebral movie, mm-hmm. even though I could have probably... I mean, it obviously, like Matthew said, this is a movie that you have to sit down to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you, you have, got, to, you you have to read it. You know, honestly... Um, but it's something where, like, I, I could have watched... I could have easily watched this movie on a, like, Saturday afternoon or mm-hmm. something like that yeah, and true. not had to, like, yeah, get myself psyched up for yeah. it. And I find that I have to do that a lot lately with films... So it's like, if I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, I just want a turn off my brain and just enjoy a movie kind of thing. So I I still, I'm not ready for the dirties yet because of that. Mm -hmm. I have to, you know, there's a couple of documentaries that I want to see. There's one about um, a band called Death, Mm -hmm. which is about the first punk band uh, that came out. There's another one called The Stories We Tell about a woman who goes back and discovers that her mom may have had an affair and she is the product of this affair in the family. Um, and then there's, Uh-oh. um, there is a, uh, a movie about, um, a magic camp, I think is the title of it, magic camp, but it too also has a very, uh, here are kids that are not as the popular in their social clubs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and now they're going to magic camp to try to change their lives around. So it's, you get into the, the emotional burden of, of listening and, right, and right, going right. through their stories and you really do have to be. In a mindset. And I think going into the artist, I thought, well, this is an Oscar winning movie. This right. is, uh, this, this is something that I have to get into that mindset <laughs> this is, with. This is an Oscar winning movie. So it's going to be hard to watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're right. It wasn't. It it's really going to be work. Now, and Zach, it, it oh, go ahead. uh, Zach, you just, Hey, here's a movie about, uh, uh, space rock stars. I'm going to sit down and watch it because Steven said it was awesome. Uh, the, uh, oh, the, 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 the future, future, folk? future, Heck folk. yeah. Uh, so you're not that way. You're open to pretty much anything, right? Well, every week I'm told I have to watch movie because it was good on some form or fashion. So I really can't put a wall up mm-hmm. with you guys. Yeah, well, no, bound- no also- boundaries here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're also young, and I think there is a tendency among the young to be more accepting of new experiences. I mean, I, I think it was Steve Martin who says, "In your 40s, you're allowed to say nope, no thanks. I'm my mind is closed." <laughs> Because you get to a point where you just, you, you, you don't want a new experience. And I think that was part of my, I don't want to say disconcerting going into this film, but I think it was part of the reason why I hadn't watched it yet was everybody told me this is wonderful. You're, you're going to find it transformative. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to be transformed. Maybe I want to sit here in my underwear and eating Doritos. So I, I do like new experiences I, myself. I, I think that I just have to be in the mood for it. I, I think that old people and young people um, reject new experiences mm-hmm. regularly, but they do it for different reasons. Mm-hmm, sure. mm-hmm. Old people don't want to put up with that. Yeah, yeah. And young mm-hmm. people don't want to be bored. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't have time for all that. Right. Know, right. Exactly. Camping. So, I mean, we, you know, Zach has said before that a lot of these movies he would not have watched on its own. Right. And it's probably because there was something about them that seemed boring. They yeah. are. They are from before 1996. Yeah. Right, right. Not they enough candy old. bracelets. So uh, here's where we make a transition, right? Yeah. Would you say 
that because we've made you watch all of these films, that you are better off now because of it. Oh, you ever look at some film and say, why in the F did I watch this? I got nothing out of this. You mean from what what you've had? Yeah, from Zach on film. Um, yes, there have been. Why? Um, what, what, what films? Mm -hmm. What films made me say that? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a mad, 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 mad. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Saw it coming coming from a mile away. Yeah. Um, but definitely things have changed. I've, I realized in the last like three weeks that, uh, I can now watch a movie for entertainment, but then also analyze it and be critical mm-hmm. about it, which mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. for the longest time. Let's uh, let's transition over to the production, but before that, yeah, let's yeah, yeah. Uh, thank some of these people. Let's thank some people. Those people would be people who Stephen probably chuckled while putting them on the <laughs> shout-out list when I read it this afternoon. You horrible You know, person. you can always ask people how to pronounce it correctly if you would like some help and assistance, but... Like you should you do that. You should do that before the show. But go ahead, please. Uh, Let us listen to our. It's fine too late now. It's too late. Sponsors. We're going Drown. forward. We're rolling, and we don't edit the show. No, we don't edit. You uh, now drown. Thank you, Kale Metzer, Toodle, Caleb Roberts, Charles Alba, Darren Apple, Apple, uh, Trevor. He told us some other name to call him Oot, at Frog. Oot, at, uh, la, 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 he la, said tag regular, but I forgot what it was. But it's Trevor Einflute. I, I flute. Yeah. I flute. Uh, I Adam flute. Connor, Joseph Stillwell, Mark. Hello. Cello Poblet. Cello Poblet What Matthew said. Eric Steele, James Humphreys, Jason Leclerc, and Jonathan Micklebaugh. Berg. Berg. Mm. Bobbery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, here's where the production aspect gets a little bit intense, especially for this film. Yeah. Um, we make you watch films like Birth of a Nation, Nation yeah. so that you can see what it was like to put people in blackface. No, we make you watch these films so you can see, oh, here's how they're developing a story and using the first pan. Here's why they did that in this concept mm-hmm. or in this uh, feature. Here's why these shots in Planet of the Apes are so important. This is why this storytelling technique is so important. If you, Zach, were tasked with going back and saying, hey, you're going to do a 70s style movie, right? 70s mm-hmm. style movie includes Chinatown. It includes Taxi Driver. It'll kill uh, um, a Deer Hunter, Apocalypse S- Serpico. Now, Serpico, uh, you know, Star Zodiac, Wars. Star Wars. Enter right? the Dragon. When we look at these films, you now have a knowledge of, oh, in these films, this is where they first started using a lot of zooms Hmm. in their stuff. Oh, so this would be something that I would use to tell this kind of a story. What do we find out in the production of The Artist? That uh, the director of The Artist really understood what a movie from the 20s and 30s looks like and composed and edited. So is this a anamorphic widescreen Lens flared, no filled is, movie, which was very Lens. surprising when I started the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a one three five to one aspect ratio. Yeah, basically the like square, square four by three yeah. aspect ratio that you see on television. Yeah, yeah, that was that really caught me off guard when I started this movie. I was like, this was made two years ago. But if you're trying to yeah. make you think that you're watching a movie right. from that time, absolutely. And so, what else might you do then if you were trying to put a do a film that was from that time? 
Are you going to use zooms? Well, as no, Matthew you're said, not. you're not going to you're not going to move the camera at all. Probably not very much. Yeah. Nope. What else? You're going to shoot uh, basically almost at one level throughout mm-hmm. the entire film mm-hmm. with mainly wide-ish shots. Okay. So you're going to look and find out, well, what kind of lenses did they use at the time? Mm -hmm. What was the focal length of those lenses at the time? Why is everything at eye level? Why weren't they using cranes and dollies and all this stuff in the 1920s? Because it was difficult, (laughs) right, to do a cheap cheap movie? The other thing is um, you can very easily evoke the time period that something was done in by using techniques that were only used for that period or whether they were later abandoned for mm-hmm. example uh when we were talking about birth of a nation we talked about that iris yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh yeah and you see it in the this artist as well mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. yeah so really having an understanding and appreciation of that genre or just this time frame what are we 125 years of film now or something mm-hmm. like that yeah, something like that um you now understand what people are referring to and have a frame of reference when someone is talking about this so that if you were tasked with, hey, Zach, go out and do a uh, commercial for your local uh, local cable channel on water and how in the 1920s water was hard to come by. Well, you're probably not going to go back and just slap a, a sepia tone with a scratchy film yeah. filter on top of it and go, that's what it looked like back then. Cool. Yeah, you are. <laughs> well, I mean, if I you made want- that commercial. So you would actually go and say, oh, well, we're going to shoot this black and white. We're right. going to do this. We're going to do this. and really Somebody make it get look me like... a man in a tuxedo. Yes. <laughs> so you have that frame of reference to pull from. Or if you're supposed to do a, a crazy 1950s sci-fi movie type kick, you have a frame of reference of right. what was used in that. And that's really what I'm hoping that you get out of this a lot, not as just um, an appreciation of the films and just say that, hey, I've watched that film in case you're ever in a intelligent conversation with people um, at a bar or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the subject at, at one of those elusive yeah, cocktail parties <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard yeah. so much about yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that you have something that you can that you can talk about right. um, but hopefully that you're also learning something from this sure absolutely so shot at a square ratio mm-hmm. yeah use the same lenses now the interesting thing was this was actually shot on in color but processed to be black and was white it? I was yeah, to get the contrast in. Yeah. And um, it's, I mean, the contrast in it is super sharp, yeah, which, yeah. which is something that wasn't the case back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and that's the other thing that you have to think about. When we watch Birth of a Nation, mm-hmm. we are not watching any kind of a restored that's true. version. Yeah, we're watching it, I It would be, we talked on another one of our podcasts, the top five. We talked about historical events we would like to go back and witness. It might be very fascinating to be in Paris in 1906 and go to uh, George Millet's theater Mm -hmm. and watch A Trip to the Moon and see it as it was originally presented. Maybe it wasn't as grainy. That's true. Maybe it was more contrasting. Maybe it wouldn't. You have to look at the fact that the versions we're seeing now are not just showing the imperfections of the film, but the imperfections of multiple changes of Right. 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 Film, generally to videotape, Sometimes they'll go and they'll remaster videotape of an existing old film mm-hmm. and then turn that into the DVD. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be fascinating. I mean, but you're right. I think the contrast is maybe a little bit too high. Oh yeah, in yeah, yeah. this. I mean, but this I mean, movie looks really good. Yeah, yeah. And that's yet. that's another that's another 
that's an important lesson that's kind of hidden in this is you can do all of these things to um to get this movie to really seem like it was but when it comes to the expectations of the audience as far as quality you really want to not disappoint them in that because mm-hmm. you could say oh all of the soundtrack in this movie is going to sound like it comes from a scratchy record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would certainly be a choice, but it's a choice that people probably wouldn't go with. Right. That said, this movie has some very complex sound design, mm-hmm. which is its own topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of music, yeah, they used a bit from Vertigo. Yeah, I read that after. Did you actually pick it out when it was in the movie? I didn't. Oh, no, didn't yeah, either. no, no, I actually did. Because, like, oh, this sounds familiar, but I couldn't place it in Vertigo. And of course, I've only seen Vertigo once. Right, right, so. right, right. I, I couldn't have placed it as Vertigo, but I the music sounded very familiar. Yeah. Um, And it is a scene from Vertigo where they, and of course, the filmmakers asked for permission. They got right. permission. They licensed the music correctly, and they put it in. Uh, but Kim Novak basically came out and did a whole statement as like, I feel like my, my career has been raped because they use this music in a different film. And it's just a, it is a, uh, a travesty, a tra- a travesty yeah. to everything it's that, a, that a goes farce on. Of a travesty, and, uh, and, and really what, what that probably entailed was, uh, she wanted people to be like, wait, Kim Novak Kim is still Novak's around. Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> well, too. She's still alive. <laughs> if you if you look at it from her perspective, I think that I wouldn't necessarily say the word is justified, but I think she has every right to be upset that that was used. But she doesn't own that music, right? Right. Right. So her coming out and saying that is the equivalent right. of somebody coming up and saying, "This is the greatest transformative movie ever. It'll make you awesome." Well, that's yeah, like her, uh, her like, actual comment was in Variety, where she says, I feel as if my body, or at least my body of work, has been violated by the movie. This film should have been able to stand on its own without depending on Bernard Herrmann's score from Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo to provide more drama, and that it is morally wrong for the artistry of our industry to use and abuse famous pieces of work to gain attention and applause for uh, other than what they were intended, ending her comment with, shame on them. Yeah. I really, I really hope she never watches any Quentin Tarantino movies because oh, yeah, he, yeah. like, he just like he just like flips through Ennio Morricone's uh, I, I, catalog. I have a feeling. Just picks stuff out. I have a feeling, and I I don't know Kim Novak. She could be, be the the most wonderful, likable person in the whole wide world. Mm-hmm. I cannot think of a single thing negative to say about Kim Novak. Right, her hair um, is perfect. But, and when you guys get to <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. I half expect Kim Novak to be standing there going, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Now, you know, this now. this kind of thing, because she it, that's almost how it feels uh, like. And well, I think you'll... I mean, I'm not saying that she's, you know, crazy, wicky-wacky-woo, and she's trying to murder somebody in the pool. Spoiler. Um, no. Actually, the movie no. opens with the guy floating no. in the pool. Oh, um, so, um, oh, but I mean, yeah. the same sentiment is kind of there. Uh, I, I where, think, you know, like, it's... Uh, when when Charlie's Angels came out with Drew Barrymore and and uh, Lucy Liu, mm-hmm. um, like Farrah Fawcett, like complained oh, yeah. bitterly yeah. that not not just that she wasn't going to be in the movie, but that her character wasn't going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. That these were all like brand new mm-hmm. characters, right. um, and she felt that that was not uh, not not true to the work. Yeah, yeah. Which, well, you William, know, I mean, William as an artist, Shatner did the same thing when he wasn't invited to be make a cameo in Star right, Trek, right. and Adam West did the same thing in '89 when he was not put in Batman. a Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I and, can understand, you know, this is something that for many of these actors, 
is what defines them. Right. Sure. And when suddenly you are doing something in a way that detracts from that, you are and in Kim Novak's comment, you can see that it's like I have become less of a right. person or personal. less of a you know, my, my person has been diminished because right. you are reusing this in different ways. And I think people have you know, whether it be the actor or whether it be a critic or whether it be audiences or whoever, I think a lot of people have these same reactions when uh, years ago they did the Fred Astaire vacuum cleaner ads uh-huh. right. where they actually lifted Fred Astaire from, I forget which dance number, mm-hmm. and they had him dancing around with a vacuum cleaner trying to sell ads saying, look how easy it is to, to but they, sell. They did that in this film, too. The the shots of, um, of uh, Frenchie McFrench in the Swashbuckler movie. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. actually an existing film where his face was put over El- Errol Flynn or something. So, well, I mean, uh, and and the thing is, is you know, these are, I mean, these are actors, and that's what they do. It's you know, and um, when you take something that is important to them and then use it in a way that it wasn't intended, it can it can feel like a violation. I mean, it's it's the reason why, like, some bands refuse to sell the rights to their yeah, songs sure. yeah. for commercials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. R.E.M. is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, years ago, there was a Burger King commercial that was using what many people thought was an R.E.M. song. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, R.E.M. finally sold out. And it wasn't that. It was that R.E.M. had actually done a cover of someone else's song. Yep. And their cover, the R.E.M.'s cover, had become famous. Well... Burger King just did an end around and went right to the original artist right. and said, hey, can we yep. do our yep. own version of that? And, and like, just, sure. just handed money to the original artist, <coughs> yep. handed money to the record label for the recording, yep. right? Or yep. for the yep. uh, music, right? Music, right? And then just boom, put it on. I mean, yep. and, and you get yep. that. Yep. I, I think for the longest time, I want to say, is it Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't give their music for anything? And mm-hmm. recently... I don't know who it is that's in charge of that has been has become a lot more lax about that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how some people are tightly held hold on to everything they create, and some of them are more lax. Because if you've listened to uh, Top Forty Radio at all this summer, a uh, boy band from Europe called One oh, yeah. Direction yeah, yeah. has a song that is essentially. Um, Baba O'Reilly from the Who. I mean, mm-hmm. it's exactly mm-hmm. it's exactly the same, but the Who's like whatever it's like we made a good song they can use it not a big deal mm-hmm. but some well, people are I like mean, no don't sample us artists borrow sure. and i think that that's that's the lesson i think for kim novak here too is she is not wrong to say that it's not right for people to do this however there's also the question that we run into oftentimes is she's also not the rights holder she's sure. not the one who decides what happens to it so as an actor in that movie, yeah, you have every right to be upset. You have every single right to say this is wrong, and I want to state, you know, for the record that I think this is wrong and that you guys are bad. And that's, you know, that's perfectly fine. But when it comes down to it, somebody else owns the rights, and somebody else said, oh, sure, we want to be a part of this for, you know, whether it's commercial reasons or whether it's here to try and make sure that you have, you know, to add that added patina of, uh, legitimacy i guess to the sequences in the past to make it feel more actual more authentically 19 and i think that that you know that's an important distinction to draw is i don't think that the guy here said we want that bernard herman score because hey it'll sell movies 
I think no. they wanted it because it would evoke the time period or you know evoke a retro feel that they wanted. Yeah, to, and, yeah. and as yeah, the yeah. director says, he says, "I wanted it because this is my homage to right, movies, right. Yeah, right. and this is a great movie that people would know." Yeah, um, and he does his Citizen Kane montage too. Yeah. Um. Okay, Zach. Yeah. Give us some things that you learned. Things that I learned. Final thoughts and things that um, you learned here. Uh, I, I picked up um, how it's 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 good to know about an era like we talked about earlier and be able to use those things. I know one other thing we didn't talk about, and we talked about black and white, and that's my gray show and the iris effect, but uh, they also used, I, I'm pretty sure it was probably rear projection oh, yeah, when they did the car of, yeah, scenes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which just, that is so old movies is that is like you know you're watching a movie from the 50s or earlier if it's rear projection like that although the technique it's still used today i mean mean, eventually you know eventually um changed for keying Mm -hmm. yeah but still Still technically the same thing Yeah, yeah yeah um oh that tom cruise movie that came out um, the one where he's Jack in the Reacher. Future. No, the one where he's in the future. Oblivion. Oblivion. They use viewer projection yeah. for a lot of their movies and stuff. So, um, old stuff still being used all the time. What else did I yes, learn? Yes, those pans, those cuts. Yes, those medium shots, <laughs> those, those cameras, those actors. Audio, super important. Obviously, audio. Um, learning how to. Um, get that emotional reaction through composition. Cause they used Dutch. They only used a couple Dutch angles, but they were like super Dutch right. and they were all up in your face. Cause <laughs> it was not anything like you've seen. Ich before. bin ein Berliner. No, wait, that's Deutsch. I was yeah. My bad. Deutsch angles are different. Yeah. yeah. Jawohl. Uh, so what are you going to, what are you going to, what are you going to apply to your future projects? Uh, uh, sound design and just composition because there were some really cool shots in here. I mean, there's simple shots, right? Like when the when he when George first finds out that the studio is no longer making his films, and there's just that shot of like the janitor walking in front of like the almost white wall, mm-hmm. but he's super like contrasted against it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And uh, the most important question, did your fiancé watch this movie and what do you think? Well, I had to nearly hold her hostage to try to even get her to almost watch this movie. And then we started watching it one night and we just, it was late and we both fell asleep in like 15 minutes. But she didn't want to watch it anyways. Did you tell her it was a love story? No, I I really didn't know what it was about, to be honest, Mm -hmm. before I started it. It's about 200 minutes long. Yeah. Almost. All right, Zach, take us out of here. Okay. Um, go to Majorspoilers.com where you can find the podcasting posting page and give your thoughts and comments about the artist, anything else we've talked about on this show. And while you're at Majorspoilers.com, make sure to click on the Amazon.com shopping link. We'll take you to Amazon. You can do all of your shopping needs by... The artist on Blu-ray. Even by though the, it's going to be in <laughs> four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Aspect, right? uh, by the soundtrack. And glorious 4-3. <laughs> by all your great movie watching or board game playing or comic book needs or anything else that Amazon offers. They offer a whole lot. None of it will cost you any extra, but a little bit will come back to us to help this all going. 
So that's it for this week. Next week, we're doing social networking. What's the social network? Oh, oh good one. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a syllogy. Thought that on the fly. Wow. Didn't even play it. You're getting good at this. Thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.